0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. This uh, f- phrase is probably familiar, familiar to us. Uh, the first and the last. The first will be last and the last shall be first. Uh, and we see this uh, phrase repeated at the end of chapter 19 in verse 30 and again at the end of this parable. Uh, where Jesus says, The last will be first and the first shall be last, uh, and we're we 're all familiar with it, and sometimes because we 're so familiar with something we think um, we think we know what it means, but really, what did Jesus mean by this phrase? Right? What does it mean to be first or to be last um, how, how do I know if i 'm first, or how do I know if i 'm last actually and and should I try to be first like Am I supposed to, or or should I try to actually be last, so that in being last, I can be first? Uh, Well, this all gets really quite confusing, and it's easy for us to uh, feel like, uh, I don't know what this means, and I think probably, uh, I know for me, I I probably don't know what it really means, so we want to look at this passage and look at what Jesus is teaching here and try to answer this question, what did Jesus really mean uh, by being last or being first? First. And more importantly, what does this expression or what does its meaning have to do with the way I'm living right now? Like, are we supposed to try to be first, or what what is Jesus telling us? Well, uh, let's jump into the parable first, and and then we'll we'll try to see what Jesus meant by this expression. Uh, The the scene of the parable, uh, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like uh, the master of a house who goes out uh, early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard, and certainly the picture here is one of the grape harvest um, time to to harvest the grapes and of course the grapes it 's a, it's a, it's a very time sensitive thing if they don 't get the grapes in in time, they will spoil and rot and fall to the ground so it 's not the kind of thing you can you can drag on it 's critical that uh, that the work gets done quickly so um, uh, uh, the owner of a vineyard would, would go to uh, into, into town and they would look for laborers. And there were people who didn't own land, who uh, maybe were poor, uh, who worked as day laborers. And so he goes, uh, it says, early in the morning. And for them, especially during her harvest, uh, they would be expected to work 10, maybe even 12 hours, all the daylight hours, from 6 in the morning till uh, 6 at night. And so he goes early in the morning, probably 6 o'clock in the morning, and he finds these laborers, and he agrees uh, to hire them for a denarius per day, uh, which was the standard uh, standard pay, standard wage for a day's work. And uh, and, and in fact, so standard was it that in, in Roman times, this was kind of, not just in Israel, but throughout all of the Roman Empire, the standard wage for a day laborer. And so they agree, and they go into the field, and they begin working. Well, it says that the the owner of the vineyard goes again at nine, 9 o'clock in the morning and he finds more laborers standing around idle. That doesn't mean they were idle because they didn't want to work. It just means they hadn't found work yet. So they were standing, waiting. And he talks to them and he says, uh, go work in my, my vineyard and I'll pay you what's fair. So they go. Uh, but it doesn't stop there. The... Uh, owner of the vineyard comes back again at 12 noon, and he finds more. He comes back again at 3 and still finds more who have not been hired, who have not been sent to work. And so he sends them out. But what's most remarkable is um, he comes again, it says, at the, at the 11th hour, which would have been about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, so the workday goes from 6 in the morning till 6 at night, and he comes at 5 o'clock right? There's one hour left of daylight, one hour left to work. And he says to them, uh, what are you doing here? Why have you not gone out to work? And, and these in the, in the last group uh, say, you know, nobody's nobody's hired us yet. Uh, and uh, it would be easy to think that each of, each of the people in these groups are somewhat equal. And Jesus doesn't elaborate a lot about what these people are like. But here's how it would work. Uh, if you're hiring somebody, just like we do today, when you want to hire somebody, you you want the best candidate for the job, right? So you uh, have some kind of criteria that, that the laborer fits the work that you're hiring them for, that they have the skills or the strength or uh, the aptitude for the work. So it would work that way in Jesus' day. So you go in the morning, and uh, you would look for strong, strapping guys, young, healthy, people who look like they can... Uh, do a lot of work, right? And you would hire them first. And as as, as those workers got picked, the next time he went back, uh, those who would have been left wouldn't have been quite as healthy, but they still would be pretty strong, pretty healthy, pretty uh, good candidates for work. Um, so so it would go through the day as, as different people would come trying to hire these laborers. But here's the thing. When you get down to 5 o'clock, right, it's the end of the day, uh, who do you think gets left, it's kind of like, remember, you remember, uh, when you were in grade school, uh, choosing teams for sports, right? And, and who gets picked first? Like the smallest, skinniest, uh, most pathetic person, you know, or the strongest and healthiest? Well, of course, the strongest, the best athletes get picked first. And so, when it comes to the end of the day, not only is he hiring people at the last possible hour, but chances are pretty good that the people he's hiring are the least likely prospects. Like these are like the really old guys. Like, you know, the guy with the cane. Yeah, you with the cane. <laughs> go work. Maybe some handicapped guy, right? The, the one arm guy. Well, I know you only got one arm, but yeah, you go work. Um, that's probably who was in this last group. People who were not really all that desirable. The ones who it would be natural for them to be the last picked. So, um, but he does pick them, right? And he sends them. Uh, regardless of how qualified or how strong they may seem, he, he he picks them and he sends them into his vineyard to work. And it's certainly, uh, his action here uh, is a picture of his mercy and compassion. And uh, he he saw that these guys had not worked all day, and it wasn't so much that he needed the labor; uh, there was only an hour left. But his heart went out to these guys, and the way it worked. Uh, in Jesus' day, for these uh, laborers, is they they work day by day, and uh, they were not given a month's salary, a month's wages. And in fact, we see in a minute that they're paid at the end of the day, because these guys are living day by day. And if they don't if they don't uh, get paid, if they don't work, they don't get paid. If they don't get paid, maybe they don't eat. And we see that even uh, here in Asia for for day laborers, where they, they're just making enough to get by, just enough to live on. And so if they don't work, uh, they don't eat. And so this uh, this owner shows his, his heart of compassion and generosity as he sees these guys in need, and he uh, generously agrees to hire them so at least they'll have something. Uh, but then the story takes a, a very interesting twist, right? And as uh, as a, as the day ends, it's time to pay them all. And and so uh, the the master of the house, the owner of the vineyard, gives some very specific instructions to his manager, and he says um, he says I want you to do this. I want you to begin paying them uh, with the last. Okay, here's that key word. Those who were hired last, I want you to pay them first, and I want you to give them a denarius. And, and a denarius, if you remember, was what the the first group had agreed to work for, and it was again the standard wage for a full day's work. And so this uh, this owner, this this owner of the vineyard, is shows his generosity even further, and that he blesses this group that worked for just one hour with a full day's wages. Um, and and then he works down from there, and to each group no matter how much they worked, whether it was the one that began at 3 or the one that began at noon or the one that started working at 9 in the morning, he gives them each, every single one of them, a full day's wages. So at this, uh, the, the people who got hired first, okay, there's that key word again, the first group, they start getting their hopes up. They think, man, if he gave all those guys a full denarius, a full day's wage, just think what we're gonna get, cause we, we did work the full day, right? And he was, he, he gave them extra. Surely he'll give us extra. But it comes to this group, the first group, and he also gives them a denarius, right? Uh, how do you feel about that, right? Do you feel like this, uh, this, uh, landowner, the owner of the vineyard, do you think he's being just? Is he being fair, right? That's the question. And of course, uh, those who are in that first group, they do not think the landowner is being fair. They think they are being mistreated. And so they begin to grumble and complain about, uh, about his treatment of them. And they said to him, You have made us equal to those who have only worked one hour, but we are the ones who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. We, in other words, worked more and we suffered more. Therefore, we should get paid more. It's not fair that we are being treated equal. Um, and, and as I said, maybe maybe these guys make a good point. And certainly, uh, anybody involved with labor law today might think, well, that's just not fair, right? Uh, and so the landowner replies with this uh, profound statement. He says. Uh, uh, friend, uh, I did you no know wrong, right? Uh, did you not agree with me for a denarius, right? He says, look, I I paid you exactly what we agreed to, right? On the terms that we agreed upon. I am not being unjust because I have paid you what I promised you. And so he goes on, he says, uh, take what belongs to you. Right, uh, I, ch- I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed, am I not free to do what I choose with what belongs to me? And then he says this, uh, this piercing statement, Or, do you begrudge my generosity? See, the problem was not that he had treated uh, the first group unfairly. The problem was that he had treated all the others with, with extra generosity, and the first group resented it, right? They thought they deserved more, uh, and the real problem is that they didn't want uh, generosity. They wanted justice. But ironically, justice is exactly what they got. They got what they fairly negotiated, uh, but they thought they deserved more. Uh, but here's the problem. More would require generosity, They wanted uh, the the landowner to be as generous to them, not on the basis of justice, but on the basis of generosity. But they are begrudging his generosity towards the others. And so uh, they resented his generosity. And so Jesus says, in verse 16, he says, So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Um, So what does Jesus mean by that? Uh, The parable kind of explains it, uh, but even at that, maybe we're still a little confused. Like, okay, (laughs) uh, so so what it means is, if we're first, we're going to be treated unfairly, and if we're last, we're not going to be. Like, it's confusing, right? So so what is Jesus really saying by this phrase? Well, uh, it's important that we really understand this parable in its context. And, And I started reading in chapter 19 because this parable is really given as an explanation uh, or to correct the thinking that, uh, that that started trickling out that we, we see in the end of verse, uh, chapter 19. And, and in fact, in, in verse 1 of chapter 20, this parable begins, begins with an important little word, for. For the kingdom of heaven is like. Right? And so Jesus is continuing a thought that actually began in the previous chapter. Um, and like, like many of Jesus' parables, rarely does Jesus, sometimes Jesus just throws out a parable, but often Jesus gives a parable in response to a question or a, a wrong way of thinking that he's trying to correct. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. Uh, but unlike many of the other parables where Jesus is targeting his, his enemies or his opponents, often the Pharisees or scribes, who were uh, thinking very wrongly about the kingdom, uh, what's interesting in this passage is Jesus is uh, speaking it really to the disciples who also are thinking wrongly, or at least in danger of thinking wrongly about the kingdom of heaven. And so he gives this parable uh, to correct their thinking. So what was this thinking that they had that was uh, that was off? Where, where were they heading uh, in their thinking and in their minds that was away from uh, the the truths of the kingdom that Jesus is trying to correct. Well, uh, let's back up even further. And and the context of of this uh, story in chapter 19 is the rich young ruler. And we won't read the whole thing, but but there was a rich young ruler who came asking Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, specifically he says, what good thing must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, there's no one good but God. But um, if you want to save yourself... You, you got to keep the law, and he asks, "Well, what, what commandments?" And he says, "Well, you know the commandments: uh, don't steal, don't murder, don't uh, don't don't commit adultery, don't bear, bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself." And the rich man says, "I've done all those things. Like since birth, since I was a boy, I have been faithful to those things, and yet he sensed." there was something missing in his life, right? He, he, he knew in he sense that something was was not complete, right? And so Jesus, uh, Jesus said to him, there is one thing you lack, right? There is one thing you lack, and it's not a small thing. He says, if you would be perfect, right? if you would comp- uh, keep the law in the fullness of its meaning and purpose, go, sell all your possessions give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Right? And of course, we know in, in, in that account, uh, because of his great wealth, it says that he turns and walks away very sad. Uh, and he realizes that uh, his love for his material possessions is much greater than his love for his neighbor, and maybe even his love for God. And he, uh, we don't know, but it seems that he is unwilling or he fails the weight of, uh, of that sacrifice, of giving up all of his wealth in order to truly fulfill the requirements of the law. And, and, and Jesus said, it is so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples say, then who could possibly be saved? And Jesus says, uh, with man it's impossible, but with God it's possible. God can change a heart, um, But then we come to the, the real context. So, so that's kind of Jesus dealing with uh, with this rich young ruler. But then Peter introduces a whole new thought and idea, right? And, and in verse 27 of chapter 19, Peter says in reply, See, we have left everything. Look at us. Like, we did this, right? We, we, we've we left everything. And just to be clear, uh Probably uh, Peter didn't actually do what what Jesus was asking the rich young ruler, because he asked the rich young ruler to actually sell everything and give all of his possessions to the poor. Uh, it's uh, We see in Scripture that the disciples probably didn't do that. They seemed to still have their fishing boats. Uh, Peter still had his house. Um, they probably didn't sell everything, but they had left everything to follow Jesus. They had left family. They had left their father and their mother. Some of them may have um, gone on these trips and left behind their wives and children. Uh, Certainly, they had made sacrifices to follow Jesus, to literally follow Jesus and go where he went and be with him all the time. And so Peter says, man, we've left everything and followed you. What is going to be our reward? What will we have? What will we benefit? Because we've done this, right? And you promised treasure, To this rich young ruler, and Peter's thinking, wow, are we going to get treasure? Are we going to get reward in heaven? And Jesus says, yes, truly I say to you, in the new world, that is in the regenerate world, when when God sets up his eternal kingdom, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake, you will receive a hundredfold and you will inherit eternal life. Right? Jesus uh, uh, assures Peter and the disciples that they will receive incredible rewards. Uh, first, they will rule on twelve thrones uh, in conjunction with Christ. Uh, and certainly this was a, a unique promise to the 12 uh, disciples. I don't know that uh, now that there's millions of disciples, Jesus is saying millions of you will get thrones and rule, um, judging the tribes of Israel. But, but they're representative of us. And they represent the church. They represent all who follow him. And there is a sense in which we who follow Christ will for all eternity rule with him in some sense. Right? We will share his authority, uh, and so that, that's a huge uh, blessing and a huge reward. And then on top of that, he says, "Everyone who's given up anything, whatever it was you you've given, whatever you have sacrificed, I promise you that God will make it up to you a hundred times. Right, a hundred times. If you've given up uh, uh, possessions, God will return to you a hundredfold of anything that you have given up. If you've given up family or relationships." Uh, God will restore those relationships a hundredfold, a hundredfold. And certainly, uh, uh, it's a truth that following Jesus involves, uh, giving up, right? Uh, but, but God is incredibly generous in rewarding those who follow Him, who, who give up, who sacrifice for the sake of Jesus' name, uh, so that, uh, he, he gives back many times over whatever we will lose or sacrifice, right? So this is not a one-for-one exchange. Uh, Jesus is not saying, look, I know you gave up a house, and, and trust me, God's going to replace your house uh, with a slightly better one, right? No. He says, you've given up a house. Uh, God's going to give you a hundred houses. Uh, of course, that's not literal. Jesus is using uh, exaggeration here, but the point is, Uh, believe me, what you are going to gain is infinitely greater than anything that you lose, anything that you have left behind or sacrificed in order to follow me. And so the principle here is Jesus saying, look, um, yeah, it is a sacrifice. Following me means giving up. It means leaving behind your former loves of, of wealth and possessions. You cannot follow me and love the world. And that was his message to the rich young ruler. And it's the same message to anyone who would be his follower. You cannot love the world and love Christ. You cannot invest and follow the things of this world and choose to follow Christ. You have to pick uh, who you will follow. And to follow Christ means leaving behind our love for the things of this world. Now, It may not mean literally, physically selling all we own and uh, living on the street. But it means emotionally and, and, and spiritually that we turn away from those things as a means of joy and purpose and, and a, as a goal for our life. That those things no longer mean to us what they did before. And that Jesus becomes everything. That our allegiance and devotion to him is supreme. is above everything else. So that we would, if he called us, we would give up anything. And, and of course, many of us who, who are here in Thailand have given up much to come here uh, because of the name of Jesus. Right? We have given up maybe great jobs or great incomes, great salaries. Maybe we've given up very, very nice and comfortable homes. Uh, maybe we've given up, uh, and certainly we've given up uh, being near our family, uh, being near our loved ones. And, and so we have, we have made those sacrifices uh, to follow Christ. Um, and, and Jesus says, but, but, but believe me, uh, it's worth it, right? Because what you gain is infinitely greater than anything you will lose, anything you sacrifice. The rewards and what God will give to you is infinitely greater. Right? That's the message. Um, but, but he ends that, then in verse 30, with, this, with, with a, a but. He says, but... And this this and if you if you like if you if you the kind of person who could mark in your Bible, you could underline, highlight, uh put arrows to this word, because it's a major word, but yeah, you will receive rewards, great rewards, far beyond what you sacrifice, but but many who are first will be last. And the last first for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire, hire laborers for his vineyard. Uh, Jesus here gives a warning to the disciples. And and what we have to see is this parable is explaining his warning to them. That, yeah, you're going to get amazing rewards. But be careful about your heart. Be careful about your attitude in how you go serving. And the problem is Peter asked the legitimate question, but maybe he didn't ask that question with the purest motives, right? He's revealing a dangerous trend in his heart that could be leading him in a, into a bad place. Not a place where he's disqualified from the kingdom, but a place where he, uh, he forfeits uh, what God really has for him. Because his attitude is wrong, right? So what exactly is that attitude? What exactly then is Jesus uh, calling out in Peter and in the disciples and in us uh, that can get us in trouble? Well, it really comes down to this idea of of, uh, a relationship with God based on justice or based on generosity, right? And and really the the question that Peter was, was in danger of asking is, uh, God, we, we, Jesus, we have, we have given up a lot for you. Uh, surely we deserve great rewards in the kingdom. And 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 Peter is saying that I, uh, I'm serving you, and and I'm basing my relationship with you on on merit, on what I deserve, on what we are doing to earn God's blessing. And that's a dangerous place to be, right? Um, uh, And in that sense, uh, we don't want to be first, right? And so Jesus gives this parable uh, to speak to those exact issues. Um, And and, uh, specifically, uh, what does it mean to be first, right? Uh, Clearly the disciples were picked first. (laughs) uh, So they were first because they got picked first. Is that what Jesus means by being first? Literally, they were first um probably not right that's not really and cuz uh, it's just the way it was um but 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 this idea of being first and last inherently implies some idea of competition right if you're competitive if you like competing uh when you hear about being first uh, what do you think of right you think of i'm going to be first like if there's a first i'm going to be first right what does it take to be first right it's it's a it's a term uh, that implies competition i'm going to be better at this than somebody else i'm going to do it more than somebody else right and that's exactly what what uh, jesus is addressing this competitive attitude that says i'm going to be the best i'm going to be the best disciple i'm going to be the best missionary i'm going to be the best christian right and i'm going to deserve all these rewards. I'm going to work hard. And when, when I get to heaven, nobody's going to have more crowns than I have because I'm going to win, right? right? Uh, and some of us are super competitive, right? Maybe others of us are not so competitive. We feel like we always lose. And when we think of competition, we think not about being first but being last, right? We think, well, I don't stand a chance, right? I'll never beat the Apostle Peter. I'll never beat Paul. I'll never beat those Christians who are so out there, just giving it all out. I certainly will be last. But the issue is the spirit of competition, um, uh, and so so specifically, what are they competing for, right? Well, in the parable, he gives us the answer: what 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 they are the best at, right? And it's this: uh, he says. Uh, when, when, when the first group, the first group who got hired, when they, uh, when they got paid their denarius, they were angry and they grumbled and they said to the landowner, you made them equal to us who have what? Born the burden of the day and what? And the scorching heat, right? He says, look, we have labored more and we have suffered more, so we deserve more. Right, and so that's that's the um, that's the competition. Who's who's worked hardest? Who's labored the most? And who's suffered the most for Jesus? And that's really what Peter says. Peter says, "Look, we have sacrificed a lot to follow you. We have given up everything. Right? Surely, if this is a competition, we win because we have sacrificed so much." To follow you, right? If if you're giving out rewards in heaven on the basis of sacrifice, we win, right? We win. No one has given up what we have to follow you. Um, and and to do that, Peter had to be comparing himself with with those around him. Right, and in, and in his day, the twelve really were literally following Jesus. The crowds would show up and go home, but the twelve stuck with Jesus, and that was part of why they had left so much to follow him, because they were literally following him. And so I'm sure Peter was thinking, "We're better than that rich young young guy. Yeah, he thinks he's all that, all that, but he wasn't willing to sacrifice like we did." And there's the crowds; they come and they they get. This and they get that, they get God's help, but then they go home. They're not making sacrifices. Uh, he begins comparing himself uh, and, and, and the disciples with others, and they feel like they are in first place. And, and Jesus is saying, look, there, there is great danger in, in comparing yourself with others. And there's great danger, really, in competing with each other's. That That is not the spirit of the kingdom of heaven. And yet it is so easy to do, right? Uh, Don't we do this? Don't we compare our struggle, our hardship, what we have sacrificed with others? Uh, Don't we love to compare our labor and our service and what we have done and compare it to others? right? Um, And for those of us who are competitive, who are driven, uh, so much of our identity, in fact, is rooted in how much I've done or how much I've suffered or how much hardship we've gone through. Uh, And and the result is that we, we start feeling that we have earned God's blessing. That compared to those other people, God should be rewarding me greater. He should be giving me more because I deserve it more. Because I have sacrificed more and I've worked harder. Or it can have the opposite effect, that we feel quite inadequate. We realize that we're not that successful, that... For a lot of reasons, we uh, uh, haven't been able to work that hard. Maybe we don't feel that talented or gifted or strong. Maybe we honestly feel like, well, yeah, if it came to choosing, we would be in the last group picked at 5 o'clock. Because we're not that great. We're not that strong. We're not that talented. And so we're not even in the race because we're already last. And so we feel disappointed or discouraged, we feel like it's not even worth trying because surely we're going to lose the competition. And and and, uh, and this spirit, it, it leads to uh, jealousy. It leads to a bad attitude, and and it leads to what Jesus calls here, literally a bad eye. Right. The outcome of this is is that these guys who were uh, who felt mistreated because um, they didn't get treated what they thought was equally, not fairly. right? They don't have joy, instead they are grumbling. They are angry and they are complaining. And he says to them, do you begrudge my generosity? Literally, do you have an evil eye toward uh, my compassion and my, my generosity? Do you have a bad eye? Right? Um, we've got to watch out that we don't get a bad eye, right? That our perspective doesn't get tainted because we base our relationship with God on merit, on what we deserve, right? And really that's what Jesus is trying to address here. What is the basis, what is the foundation of your relationship with God? Do you want a relationship with God based on what you deserve? On justice, right? And amazingly, God is always just. Like, we will never get less than justice from God. But is that really what we want the basis of our relationship to be? And as the the workers in the parable found out, you can't have it both ways. You can't negotiate a price and and work and, and expect to get what you deserve uh, and, and live on the basis of justice and then hope on top of that for generosity. Right? You, you get one or the other. Either your relationship is one based on generosity from the beginning or it's one based on merit and on what we deserve. Uh, the only claim that they could make was on the master's generosity. But they they resented his generosity. Right? So all that was left was getting justice. Right? So, so which do we want? Right? What, what do we want? A relationship with God based on what we deserve? Or do we want a relationship with God based on his generous grace? Right? Uh, and the truth is, uh, in this parable, we see that all are called to serve, all are called to sacrifice and all are called to labor in, in the kingdom. Right? All, all were sent out to work. So there's no such thing as a person who's like, well, I just want in the kingdom, but I don't want to have to work. Like, I want the option where I don't actually have to sacrifice anything. I don't actually have to serve. I just want the benefits. There is no such thing. Jesus' clear message to the rich young ruler is, um, to follow me, you must give up your loves for this world. Right? And we know that to follow Christ, to serve Him, uh, it's cost us all something. And, and there's no such thing as being a follower who, follower who's not expected to serve, right? That comes with what it means to be a follower of Christ. Um, but, uh, we, we don't serve God on the basis of His justice, right? Uh, that's not how we want our relationship to be. And the reason is because God is a God of incredible, generous grace. Right? Uh, Jesus says to Peter, look, yeah, you've given up a lot, but I'm telling you, God's going to replace it a hundred times over. Right? That's, not, that's not justice. That's not getting what you deserve. That's getting far beyond what you deserve. It's, it's his generous grace. It's his abundant love and kindness toward us. Uh, We read part of Romans 8 uh, this morning already. uh, But let's back up a little bit further and read uh, Romans 8.32, where Paul writes, He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, we enter into a relationship with God through Jesus, his son. And God did not spare, he did not hold back his own son, but generously gave his very son for us so that we could be his children. And so Paul says, along with Jesus, how will he not also with him, with Jesus, graciously give us all things? But the basis of that gift is not our merit, not our hard work, not how much we have labored or how... Hard it's been. It is it is his generous grace. Uh, because our relationship and our service to God are to be based on His grace, not our effort or sacrifice. Right? And and so 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 Jesus warns Peter Don't don't strive to be first in the in, in the competition of suffering the most or serving the most. That's missing the heart of the kingdom, right? Um, And really, uh, as Peter listened and reflected on this this parable, he could could think, I'm in that first group because I was picked first, or because I'm an apostle, right? Uh, But but if Peter really pondered it more and thought about it more, and, and what was the basis of Jesus picking and choosing Peter Did did Jesus uh, choose Peter because of his great education? No, he was just a fisherman. Did he pick Peter because of his his character and because he was so mature? But we see Peter constantly mouthing off, constantly showing us his immaturity, right? All the way up to denying Jesus on the night he was crucified, right? If Peter were honest, he would have to say, no, really... I'm in that last group, right? I'm among those who was chosen at five o'clock because there's nothing that special about me. It was, it was, it was God's very grace that He chose me at all. And, and isn't that true for us, right? Uh, and, and I think, I think we do need to think of ourselves not as first, but last. In the sense, not that we're losers. Well, Okay, maybe in the sense that we're losers, right? That we're in the five o'clock group. We're in the group that really had no basis to be chosen to go labor in, 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 the, in the vineyard, right? We are those who are weak, who are lost, who are broken. And we were chosen to go into his vineyard to labor as an act of kindness from the uh, from the master. Not because we deserved it. And likewise, once we're laboring, it is God's generosity and His grace that enables us with the giftings and abilities that we have. Right? It's all of grace. It's all of grace. Um, and, and the problem is not which group we, we should be. It's not striving to be first so that we can be last. It's not striving to be last so that we can be first. It's realizing. Really, we are last. And it's only by God's grace that we receive any blessing and any reward. So here's two quick tests as we close. Here's two quick things we can uh, kind of put our, our life to to see how we're doing on this, right? First test, uh, we can first question we can ask ourselves. Uh, does it make you mad or angry when others seem more blessed than you? especially those who aren't working as hard or suffering as much as you are. Uh, In my years here working with missionaries, uh, I I see so many people who know they're sacrificing a lot, and they are. Like just being here in a foreign country, uh, dealing with uh, having to go to immigration and get permission every 90 days to stay here, to get visas and work permits, it's hard, right? Right? Not always being understood because we can't speak the language very well. We, we make sacrifices, right? But, but do you feel resentment when others who don't seem to be sacrificing as much as you do are blessed? right? Like what happens when the pastor of your supporting church who uh, has a way nicer car than you and a way nicer house than you and a way better salary than you sends you a lovely little email saying, hey, we've decided to cut your support by 50%, right? Um, do you feel angry that, oh, I'm sacrificing so much, and he's living that very comfortable, easy life. Why is God blessing him, and why is he making it so hard for me? Right? Uh, in the kingdom of God, there is no place for that anger. Right? Uh, if we feel that we are last... That it's all by God's grace that we get to do anything, right? We will not resent those who seem more blessed than us. In fact, we'll rejoice with them, because we know that our sacrifices will be rewarded, and that God will give a hundred times over, right? A hundred times over. He He sees and He knows, and 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 we don't live for now. We live for eternity, right? And we know that that God's going to bless us generously far beyond what we deserve, right? Um, and, so, and so we don't resent those who are blessed. We don't resent those who don't have it as hard as us or who don't seem to be laboring as, as diligently as we are, right? Because we know the basis is grace, not what I deserve. Second, second test. Um, are we being generous Toward those around us, like, uh, we see here God's incredibly generous heart, right? Who who gave generously and lavishly to those who who didn't earn it, who didn't deserve it. And and we should know that that's us, right? That God has generously blessed us beyond what we deserve. And, And that should change our own heart and how we look at those around us. Right? Do we have that same heart of generosity, that same spirit of generosity to those around us, showing the same kind of compassion and grace, even to those who don't deserve it, even to maybe those who have mistreated us or been mean to us? Um, and is that really the motivation of our service? Like, are we serving because God has so generously blessed us that it's our heart to be generous and kind to others? Um, not to earn his blessing, but because it is all of grace. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that you are an incredibly generous God, that your love is abounding and overflowing and never-ending, that you are a God who did not spare your own son but gave him up for us as a sacrifice for sin. Lord, if you did that, how, how much more do you want to give? And yet, Lord, we confess that all too often um, we we think about our relationship with you in terms of what we deserve. And we try to earn your favor. And we try to earn your blessing by doing the right things, by by sacrificing and by working, uh, Lord, forgive us when we uh, when we put ourselves in that place in that mindset, because that's not the value of the kingdom. Um, Lord, help us to be generous people uh, who have experienced your your generosity in our life. And Lord, I pray for anyone uh, hearing, listening today who. who who doubts the depth of your love for them, who who doubts the extent of of your generous grace toward them. Lord, may your spirit just overwhelm them with a sense of your love and goodness. Lord, that we would just be blown away by how little we deserve it and by how much you give. And Lord, may it change us into be a different kind of people. Uh, people who are not competitive, who are not comparing ourselves with others, who know we're nothing, um, and, and that we don't deserve it, but by your kindness, we are so blessed, and, and because of that, we want to bless others. Lord, give us that kind of heart. We pray, and Lord, maybe we, maybe we may we be effective uh, witnesses, salt and light here in Thailand. Because we know how to show your love to those who don't deserve it, but who need, desperately need your grace. So, Lord, we just thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.